This is the Pretty Deadly Self-Defense Podcast. I'm Susie Collick, the founder of Pretty Deadly Self-Defense. And I'm Kate Lismer, a writer, traveler, mother, and expat. As a woman who lives in a big city and likes to travel, I'm very curious about self-defense. I've never had any training, so I have a lot of questions. And I have a lot of answers. We figured you probably have similar questions too. And so we thought it'd be a great idea to share this conversation and put it in a podcast. So welcome to the Pretty Deadly Self-Defense Podcast. Now, this is something that kind of reminds me of a Law & Order episode, but it's like, I always have this fear that if something is happening to me and I cry for help, you know, I'm thinking, sorry, I'm thinking of the, this, um, horror story in New York where this woman was getting attacked. Oh, my favorite story. story. Oh God. And she's, I'll just like recount my version of it where she's, uh, getting what attacked and raped in her hallway and people see it and hear it, but no one does anything. And, I've also heard in Germany that this is a pretty common scenario where people are making a scene or crying out out for help and no one steps in um, to do anything. And I wonder if you, I don't know, can speak to this a little bit, not just like how to draw attention to yourself to actually get the help that you need, but also like what is wrong with people and why does this happen? (laughs) The bystander effect. Um, I think there's a lot of misconceptions around the bystander effect that starts with this story. The Law and Order. The Law and Order story, which is an actual case in the 1970s. I think it was actually in New Jersey um, rather than New York. Your version is she's in the hallway. My version when I heard it as an urban myth was she's on the street in like the Bronx. Um, I've heard different versions, but I looked it up and actually I think it was New Jersey. I'm saying I think because I just don't recall off the top of my head, but nonetheless, and it was a parking lot. And yes, this happened. And it's not true that nobody helped. That's not true. What happened was the thing, this is the real case that started all the urban myths. What happened was a woman was being attacked kind of like just outside her apartment building. Um, and she screamed for help. It was a guy with a knife, right? Neighbors opened the window, shouted at the guy. Somebody called the police. The guy ran off. And she ran off, too, not into the building, but she actually ran into her parking lot. The guy followed her, and that's where he killed her, out of sight of anyone else. But people did actually help. The cops didn't get there soon enough. When the people saw the guy run off, they thought that that was the end of it. Mm. So this is an urban myth that has been blown up to these weird proportions because when I first heard this myth, it was um, on a street in the Bronx surrounded by 20 people who just stood there and watched Yeah, while she was being raped and murdered and screaming out for help. That's how I even have like a full image in my head, which makes me think I did see a Law and Order episode or something, you know, that I have this like picture in my head of people watching from their windows and that, yeah, there was this huge scene around. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But people did help. So it's a that case also went to court, speaking of Law and Order. Um, And it was discovered there that, you know, there were people who witnessed and acted the first assault, but nobody saw the second assault because it was out of sight of mm-hmm. everyone. 
So there's a few cases like this. There was another story about a two-year-old in China who had been run over by a car and was laying by the side of the road for like an hour or two hours before anybody helped her. And that is also true. Finally, some pedestrians just walked by. You know, it was morning rush hour and nobody stopped to help the baby. If you think about this, it's a tragic story. I won't deny that. But if you, and I'm not trying to defend anyone, but I'm trying to take a different perspective. Morning rush hour, people are walking by. People don't, anybody walking by does not know how long that baby's been lying there. Right? For whatever reason, people didn't help until the baby, until it was too late and someone finally did. But nonetheless, I don't think that you can blame all those people for saying, like, they just watched her there for two hours because they kept going with their day. They walked right by. I think these stories get really twisted around to help feed the fear of no one ever, no one's ever going to help you. Mm -hmm. And that's what's at the bottom of the bystander effect. And this is one of the things that tends to go hand in hand with self-defense and the way self-defense is presented. And I think one of the things that's so harmful because it makes people believe no one, it, it makes people believe that self-defense isn't for real mm -hmm. and no one's going to help you anyway. So you're just screwed, especially as a woman, you're totally screwed. So, and yes, in Germany, I've heard the same where, and, and I've actually had students where, where things like this have happened. But I also had a student once um, who rushed into the studio at the beginning of the class, and she was really, really um, agitated. And she said, do you have any Listerine? And I said, yeah, there's some in the, in the bathroom. You can use it. And she did, and she came out, and I was like, that's so weird. Like, who would, who would run into a self-defense class asking for Listerine? <laughs> She's like, I really don't want to have stinky breath. I know. Class. Like, how bad are things for you? <laughs> so, so she came out, and she explained what happened. She was on a bus. And somebody had a heart attack, and she performed CPR and mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation. She didn't have a mouth guard, and so that's why she needed the Listerine. Fair enough. Fair enough. And when she calmed down, she said, I don't know why this always happens to me. Why am I always the only person that helps? All these people were on the, were on the bus, and nobody helped. It was only me. And apparently this has happened to her a couple of times. That's intense. <laughs> yeah. And I said, well, you know, maybe you're the only person who knew CPR because not that many people know it. So when we think of the bystander effect and when we think of, of, and I'll speak about Germany specifically in a second, but I think this happens everywhere. No one helps. Everyone has their own self-defense system. If I see someone getting hurt, I can feel comfortable stepping in because I've got a lot of tools, right, that can help that person. But that's not everybody. Mm -hmm. You know, if I don't feel comfortable stepping in, if I see someone having a heart attack, I don't know CPR. I am not going to step in. I will call the police or an ambulance, but I'm not going to physically help that person because I don't know how. And I think this is the flip side of the bystander effect that people don't quite understand. It's not, that's a crappy thing to say. It's not that people don't understand. I think we don't take it into account. You know, mm. you, if you know how to help you help. If you don't have anything to lose, and I say lose in air quotes, you help, meaning like you're not putting yourself in a, in a type of danger that you can't handle. There's a certain amount of bravery, though, in it. And I'm thinking more of 
situations where I don't know someone is using a racial slur or someone's being like um, physically not necessarily like assaulted but intimidated or you know things like that happen all the time on Mm -hmm. the Uban and I feel like I think a lot of people just don't want to get involved and you and I have talked about this in the past like there's a certain amount of um, just ignorance is bliss is like it's not just oh I don't want to you know I don't know how to help it's like I don't I don't really want to put myself out there because I don't want the consequences of inserting myself and so I do think there's a certain amount of bravery when someone chooses to step in yeah but I go back to what I just said about you know not having anything to lose Mm -hmm. I think you put it much more elegantly you know you don't want the consequences of what will happen if you insert yourself who knows what's going on in somebody's life that mm-hmm. says, you know, I know the right thing to do right now would be to insert myself and shut this down. But, you know, I've got to get to a hospital at the moment to deliver a baby or to say goodbye to my dying parent, or I've got so much stress from a mortgage I can barely pay or you know, whatever, whatever is going on in somebody's life that prevents them from stepping in you know and again I'll use myself as an example I have a lot of tools I'm not married I don't have children my family my brothers and sisters-in-law and nieces and nephew live very far away I've got some close friends but and I've got some plants (laughs) that I like to think rely on me but probably they don't so I don't have anything to lose. The consequences for me really aren't that great on on every single level. So for me, it feels comfortable to intervene. But that's not true for everyone. Every single person on earth has a self-defense system. And that self-defense system protects you not only in great from great physical danger, but also just from daily things so that you can function in your life. You know, it's the exact same thing of you know, people are starving in Yemen, but we're not all sending food to Yemen. <laughs> you know, people are, people are, it's, it, you kind of choose your battle. Mm-hmm. You know, you, there's, there's so much wrong. Where do you jump in? Mm-hmm. It's staring you right in the face. Maybe it's right in front of you, whether it's racial or homophobia or, or, Uh, sexism or misogyny or whatever it is, you know, do you jump in at that moment? Do you have things to lose? What are the consequences? You're making a calculation. And your calculation may say, you know what, it's not worth this risk for me. Because I do believe that we each have the right to put ourselves first. Mm -hmm. And and, and again, I will too. I, I say this, even though I said we wouldn't talk about the app, but I do say this in um, in our Pretty Deadly Self-Defense mobile app that, you know, there's that myth of like yelling fire instead of help because if you yell help, this is related to the bystander effect. If you yell help, no one will come, right? But if you yell fire, everyone will react by running in the opposite direction. Right. You know, <laughs> like that's the weirdest advice you can possibly think of right so but also you know i'm not a fireman i am not gonna run or a woman i'm not gonna run into a burning building to save people Mm -hmm. i have no idea how to do that right 
it just seems like the dumbest thing in the world to me to do. And most likely, if there are fire people on the spot, I'd probably just get in their way. Right. No, I hear you. I mean, I think um, the point is taken. I mean, people have limitations and, um, you know, personal inhibitions, whatever they are. And I feel like, excuse me. Um, yeah. I mean, I guess it makes sense. I wonder from a self-defense perspective, if, if that matters to you, like, should people look to the outside for help? I mean, is there a way to, um, I don't know, ingratiate yourself with bystanders to, to leverage help? Or is it just, I have a good story about this. I wonder if I can do this succinctly. Um, so one day I'm on the U-Bahn and there's this guy sitting across from me and he's like, he's a super big burly dude. And he's talking to somebody on his, on his like heads, headphone phone thing. Um, and he's kind of rubbing his eyes. So it looks like he's sleepy. Like he's been out all night. All of his knuckles are bruised. He's clearly somebody's security or what I, a term that I learned in a brief uh, crossing paths with some low-key mafia guys in New York years and years ago, a button guy. A button guy is like an enforcer, right? He's, this is clearly what this guy is. He's got his Rolex. He's got his gold chains, bruises on every knuckle. He's a tough guy. And I'm looking at him and I'm thinking, oh, this man is really interesting because he's, he's so big and he's so sure of his size and strength that it's okay for him to relax and be sleepy on this train because he knows nothing's going to hurt him. At some point, um, somebody got on the train with, it was two people, one person was in a wheelchair and there was, and they had a little dog and the other person was helping them. And the guy looked up and his face got very soft and sweet, you know, looking at these people kind of fawning all over this little dog and he, he really liked this one little moment. And I thought, ah, oh. so he, he has a sense of nobility, you know, and humanity. And that's also interesting. So that was it. I was just kind of entertaining myself on the train, right? As I got off the train, some other guy comes out of nowhere who's, who's dangerous. This man is really dangerous. And he had me in his sights. He brushed up against me. Um, and there was just, there was something, just the vibe was like, this, this man wants to hurt somebody. And right now I happen to be in his sights. So I need to be careful. And I kept my eye on him and he kind of went in a different direction and I went down these stairs to another platform to change trains, which I was doing anyway. And when I got onto the platform, I thought, is this dangerous guy around? <clears throat> and I saw him at the far end of the, I don't know how he got there, but somehow at the far end of the platform and he was coming towards me. And I thought, uh-oh, I'm still in his sights. So then I see the big burly bruiser guy and he's standing on the platform. He doesn't, he's not even aware of the other dude because he's so sure of his own security. And I find myself, without thinking about it, I position myself about a meter behind the big burly guy, right? And then keep my eye on the dangerous guy mm -hmm. as, he, as he comes and then he kind of disappears and reappears and then goes upstairs and I never see him again. And then I relax and I'm like, okay. And then I thought, that's interesting. Why did I put myself behind this big guy? Mm-hmm. And I thought, because I feel confident defending myself, but I also thought, but this guy showed that he's got a soft spot, mm -hmm. right? He has a sense of nobility. 
and I present as basically just a harmless middle-aged lady. So he would be more likely to protect me. Also, he's so big, you know, I can just let him take the brunt of whatever's going to happen. <laughs> and I can run, or at least I can buy myself a little bit of time if I need to, because really this other man was like really, really dangerous. And just something very volatile about him. And I thought, wow, how fascinating that my own sense of self-defense, like without really thinking about it, positioned myself behind a barrier and someone that I had observed would be likely to come to my defense. Mm -hmm. But it's also a good lesson. I mean, I think when you live in a big city like we do, we're constantly taking in, analyzing, you know, people and whether they're a threat, whether they're not, whether they're someone we would hang out with, whether, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You're Because we're in this setting where you're being exposed to people and um, even creating some stories around who they are. Right. Um, but I think from a self-defense perspective, it's also smart because you can move to that side of the train where you see people who give a good energy, you know, move away right. from the people who you are sensing are a threat or a danger. And um, yeah, when it comes to this bystander effect, like maybe one way to look at it is just trying to be in, in good company and, and, and seeing yourself, if you're able to position yourself around people that you trust in any setting, like it's going to be helpful. Right. Which is also called strategic thinking. So the answer to the bystander effect when nobody helps and you're feeling threatened is strategic thinking, which we all use anyway mm -hmm. in our daily lives. Whenever we walk onto a subway car or the U-Bahn on a Friday night, we automatically judge, is everybody on this train drunk or high? Are they aggressive? Are they just having fun? Where's the nearest door? Is there an open seat? Is it next to a woman or a man? Am I safe? Mm -hmm. We do it without really thinking about it. But that's also self-defense. Right. Pretty Deadly Self-Defense is a self-defense program developed by 20-year martial arts veteran and violent crime survivor Susie Collett. Based in Berlin, Germany, you can also find Pretty Deadly in a growing number of cities around the world through the Pretty Deadly website or the Pretty Deadly app. Learn more about Susie and the Pretty Deadly community at prettydeadlyselfdefense.com.